Well, good morning. It's January the 15th, 2023 A.D. The world is still counting time by Jesus. That's significant. Let's have a prayer and we will begin. Dear Father, we're grateful for the day. Thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for your word to guide our lives. We're grateful for Jesus and for your bringing him to earth and your plan before the foundation of the world so that we could be saved in him and have a relationship with you. ask that you bless our class today and our time together. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're beginning, we're getting ready to start chapter three. So Jason, do I still sound like I'm uh, about 12 years old? It's a little better today. There's a story behind that, so we won't get into that. Um, wow, seems like it's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, a brief, very brief recap of where, we're, where we've been. So Romans chapter one uh, most everyone says the theme of the book is introduced in verse 16 and 17, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentiles. And uh, so the gospel, meaning what God has done, is doing and will do for us through Jesus. That, that fourth arrow going up, that's is doing. He's interceding for us as our high priest as we speak. And what he will do for us is when he comes back for our resurrection or transformation, whether we're in the grave or whether we're walking around, there will be a great change and uh, his promises for us to be with him in eternity as Jesus' followers. So um, that's the good news. And also in verse, <clears throat> the next verse, verse 17, says in the gospel, God's righteousness is shown. Well, how is, how is God's righteousness shown? Uh, God is shown to be right and holy in that, how is God going to bring sin-stained humanity into heaven with him. He couldn't remain righteous and bring sin-stained humanity into heaven. He does that by placing all of our sin on Jesus at the cross. The payment for all of our sin at the cross at a high price. And that's how God remains righteous and is shown to be righteous. He does not ignore sin or wink at it, but he has paid for it. And uh, so that's sort of the theme of this book. In the second chapter, well, really in the second half of the first chapter and the second chapter, Paul will go on and talk about, show how all flesh, all humanity, Jewish and Gentile, are under sin. Everyone, everyone needs salvation. Everyone is under sin. And that's the point he makes in those uh, 
the last half of chapter 1 and 2, and it goes on into 3, and he will continue that theme as he goes. Uh, one significant thing as we get ready to start chapter 3, I'm reading, and, and this, it's hard for us to really get it, to understand the emotional impact some of these statements have. Uh, because their life experience has not been ours. So we just don't have the history and the centuries of tradition that the people that Paul's writing to have or had. And so it's really easy to read over these things and really not think, well, how ground-shaking was that when some of them are huge? And one of those huge statements is the is what he says at the last two verses of chapter 2. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. And when he says no one is a Jew, he's talking about God's people, God's chosen people. He said no one is a Jew who is really, uh, who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter of the law. His praise is from man, not from, uh, not from man, but from God. That's pretty ground-shaking stuff to be hearing if you're a Jewish person back there in the first century. And you've had a lot of pride in your tradition and in your heritage, and uh, rightfully so in your heritage. There's, that's understandable. But it can go too far, and it had gone too far. And so some of the traditions were that the Jews, uh, being God's people, meant if you were born a Jew, you were just going to go to heaven, really. Um, God's chosen people, and Paul is really flipping that in, in that last, those last two sentences of chapter 2. He said, being a Jew is not about the flesh. What? No, it's not outward. It's not according to appearance. It's not about the flesh. But a Jew is one who is one inwardly. It's about the heart and the spirit. And he's going, to go, he's going to continue to develop this as he goes through the next few chapters. Uh, we'll read phrases uh, re that are sort of repeated as we go through this and think, well, okay, I got that. Well, why does Paul keep on repeating it? Because it was hard to, for that to sink in. And as you read Acts, as we read Acts and other books, as we get to Galatians, uh, there's just a whole lot of... Uh, problem with Jewish Christians trying to bring along part of the Old Testament law that they thought the Gentiles should be uh, obeying as well or accepting as well. So uh, it gets repeated over and over. I remember a Dave Clark Five song now. Nobody looks like they remember the Dave Clark Five. Fred and I, okay, there's Jeff, so if you're 70, you remember it. Eric's got a puzzled look on his face. Dave Clark Five, never heard of them. They were the biggest thing after the Beatles, Eric. Uh, oh, who are the Beatles? I know. They didn't survive, they didn't survive the Beatles. <laughs> no, they did. 
So they had this song over and over and over again. And that's how Paul and that's how so many books are, uh, parts of letters are about telling the Jewish audience that it's not about the flesh anymore. It's not about your heritage. You know, Jesus said, I go learn. He told the Pharisees, go learn what it means. I desire mercy more than sacrifice. I'm not interested in the form the forms that you're practicing. I'm interested in your heart, and God still is. He's, he's not interested in our church habit that we're here faithfully every week. He's interested in our hearts as to why we're here, what we're thinking about while we're here. Our praise, yes, he likes and wants that, Everyone likes that. God wants to be praised by his children. Are our hearts in our praise when we're singing? A lot of times, personally, I find myself sort of drifting off somewhere. I'm saying the words. I have to work at focusing on what I'm saying, what I'm singing. So God's after our hearts. Richard. Yeah, in this one, in, in Romans 2, 29, when we come to him with our hearts, he says, you're not getting praise from men. That's what the Pharisees loved, praise from men. He said, you're not getting praise from men. You're getting praise from God when you come to the Father through your, with your heart. So let's start chapter 3. So then he says, so, so what advantage has the Jew... Or what is the value of circumcision? If, if everybody's sinful and under sin, what advantage is the Jew? And then he answers his question. He says, well, there's a lot of advantage. Or there was a lot of advantage because the Jews had the word of God. They had direct revelation from God through Moses. They had his word. They knew what he wanted. Now they squandered that. They didn't remain faithful to it. But they had an advantage to start with, certainly. He goes into some logic there in the next few verses. He said, if your unrighteousness shows how righteous God is, is God, you say God isn't just to punish us, because our unrighteousness is showing how righteous he is. And he says, that's rubbish. Of course he is. He's God. Sin, he, he comes back to the same argument in Romans 6. Are we just continue to sin so that we can get more grace? He said, of course not. And he has the same argument here. But I want you to look, I want you to notice verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. And he's saying we, he's including himself in that. Are we Jews any better off from anyone else? He said, no. What's he talking about? He's talking about their blood, their flesh, their nation. And he goes on in verse 9 and says, all are under sin, Jew and Gentile, everyone. That's the point he's making. The Jews are no better off legally before God because of their sin. 
just like the Gentiles. The point of that is everyone, what's his point? Everyone needs God's grace. That's his point. Everyone needs God's grace. Because we're Americans, are we better than other parts of the world who don't have the affluent lifestyle we have and on and on and on? Are we better? Nope. Everyone needs God's grace. Everyone needs God's grace. Richard? What does your translation say? Not at all? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. There's a thought that it could say actually be not entirely, which means there is some advantage if the Jewish people understand it and take it, but they don't always do that. You know, there is an aspect to being, you know, having Torah and, and being God's chosen people. Mm-hmm. If they realize what that advantage is and take, take it to its proper level, then there is an advantage. That's uh, curious. Coming to relationship with Hashem. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if you heard, Richard said there could be some advantage for Jews if they obeyed, if they followed God in the proper way. I would just say to that that everyone needs God's grace equally, according to Paul. There's no second class, there's no first class sinner and a second class sinner. All have sinned, he says, and fallen short, verse 23, of the glory of God. So all equally need Jesus. Israel is still the chosen people. Well, I would say they were. I think we could debate whether they still are because now it's Jesus' followers. Then where are these followers of Yeshua? What are they grafted into? They're grafted into the olive tree. The olive tree. Which is Israel. Uh-huh. But everyone is the same in Jesus, like he says in Galatians. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ. But still in our sight, there are differences. If we want to see them, I guess. Not in God's sight. Agreed, not in God's sight. But still, he has chosen Israel and he said, you will be. And never has said, you are not. And I think, uh, if you can't hear everything Richard's saying, when God chose Israel and said, you are my people and and you will be, I believe my perspective is he's talking about spiritual Israel. All of, and that's what he's saying here. Verse 28 and 29. There's no privilege in the flesh. It's now in the spirit. Who is God's Israel now? It's his people. Who are his people? Those who are in Jesus, in Christ. That's Israel now. And I go to to say that, I go to Galatians chapter 3, 29. If you are in Christ, let me back up to get the context. Verse 26, Galatians 3, 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. You are one, all. 
one in Christ. And then verse 29. And if you are in Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. So Gentiles who are in Christ are Abraham's offspring, just like anyone else is. Abraham's offspring is by faith in Christ and heirs according to the promise. And they are adopted into Israel. Uh-huh. God started with Israel. He said the Messiah will come through Israel. He did. He was bringing Jesus, and like he starts off in verse 1 of chapter 3, the Jews had a lot of advantage at first. They had God's word, and he chose to bring the Messiah through that family. But in the fullness of time, Galatians 3, he brought forth his son and opened up entrance into his family to all people. There, we are now all his children. There's no Jew nor Greek, male nor female. All of equal value in God's eyes is his point. That's the message of the scripture, of the New Testament. It's in Jesus. And we're children of God, heirs of Abraham, according to his promise, through Jesus, through our faith in Jesus. We could probably discuss some semantics, but yes, Jeff. could hear Jeff, he's back there among you folks. Uh, So, okay, let's go on. Uh, So verse 9, are we any better off? My version says no. And I think that's backed up with what I just read in Galatians. All are under sin. And then he says in verse 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. So there's no privilege. There's no privilege. There are no exceptions. There's none righteous, no, not one. He goes through a list of things here of how men have fallen away. And down in verse 18, there's no fear of God in their eyes. I look at our country. I look at our behavior. I look at the crime on the streets. My goodness, no fear of God in our behavior as a nation. It's just shocking, really. Shocking at what is just now seems to be pretty common. So verse 19, as Jeff was saying, let me find it. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Every mouth stopped the whole world accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. That's a, again, going back to what I said earlier, that's a pretty shocking thing for Jewish ears to hear. 
There's so much history and pride in their history of being God's chosen people and following the law and trying to be justified because of they had the law. Well, he says, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. I agree with that. But. Richard agrees, but. It's not the works. It's the relationship with Hashem. Right. But why do you do the works? Because that's what Hashem mm -hmm. has said. I want you to do. I want you to live in this manner. Therefore, if you have the right relationship, you do the works, understanding this is what I'm trying to please my father. Right. This is what he asked. I'm going to do what he asked me to do. But it's a relationship that amounts to something. It's not just following these little, these prescriptions that you Okay, Richard's saying, if you can't hear, it's not the following of all the laws, but the relationship with God they were seeking by trying to obey him. The point that Paul is making here is no one's justified under that law. They wanted to have relationship. So how did Abraham have relationship with God? How did David have relationship with God? They didn't keep the law. Just like we have relationship with God. It's through faith in Jesus. And then he counts the cross, the payment of all sin for their efforts in faith. And he counts the cross for our efforts in faith. All saved the same way by faith in Jesus. All right, so. Can you not say that of all religions? And what do you mean by all religions? I'm talking about all denominations. All denominations. I was, I was raised in the Holy Church of Christ. And, and, and I, would, I would summarize my statement by saying that religion is man's attempt to incorporate God. We try to make God our God by building traditions on our religion. Well, I agree that we do try to make God after our own image, to use the play on words. Um, two things about that. One, I'm not the judge. I know Jesus said and one, at one point the apostles came to him and said, these guys are doing these works in your name, but they're not from us. And Jesus says, well, don't judge another man's servants. So I don't have to be a judge. Some folks that say they follow Jesus, I look at what they do, and I look at what I read, and I say, whew, I don't have to judge that. If I have an opportunity to talk and share scripture with them, I will. Do you know about this passage? Do you know this verse? Do you understand this teaching? Uh, you know, Apollos was... 
trying to do the best he could to teach about Jesus. And Aquila and Priscilla had to pull him aside and say, Apollos, you're off on this. Well, what would God have done with Apollos if he hadn't found them? I don't know. But he made it such that they found Apollos. So I think we do need to be careful about being super critical and judgmental. But I also think, uh, I don't know this perfectly. I'll just announce that right now. But there are some clear things I think we need to understand to follow the Lord. And as I have opportunity to share that, I will. Uh, And we all can keep learning, can't we? Okay, so let's go. um, Okay, by the works of the law, verse 20, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Um, So he's trying to tell his Jewish readers, you need to come away, and that's what the book of Galatians is about, and so much of Hebrews is about. There was an old pattern that you had that has been replaced. It has been fulfilled, and it is replaced by a new covenant. The new covenant is in Jesus And don't bring things from the old covenant into the new covenant. They're not part of it. They were schoolmaster. They were bringing you up into the fullness of time when Jesus came. Now there's a new covenant. That's the message of Galatians, the message of Hebrews, and the message of Romans. Uh, And he shifts gears now in verse 21. But now, okay, he's just got through telling them, No one's justified by the law, and through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It pointed out how imperfect people were, and then he shifts. But now, so something new's coming. He says, the righteousness of God has been made known apart from the law, separate from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, like we said in Galatians 3. It was a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. So the law and the prophets bore witness to Jesus. Well, how so? Well, uh, for example, under the old system, what did the law teach? It taught sin brings death. Thousands upon thousands upon tens of thousands upon hundreds of thousands of animals were killed to pay for sin. The Jew was constantly being reminded as he cut their throats. This thing didn't do that. This thing didn't have that, didn't steal that. Cut blood pouring out, offering sacrifices. Sin causes death. That was one lesson they were to learn. It's still true. Sin causes death. It's ugly. Oh, it's ugly. Another, another part of that was that the innocent is dying for the guilty. The innocent's dying. That animal didn't do it. I did it. So all of that was a type bringing it up to what Jesus would do when John said, Jesus is the Lamb of God. What does he mean? A human? Lamb? A human? Sacrifice? Yes. A human sacrifice. The Lamb of God. 
a death to pay for our sin. And it was an ugly one. The tabernacle, the temple, the way they were structured, Hebrews says these are shadows and copies of the heavenly things. So the law was a witness to what was coming. And so were the prophets. Uh, I made a little list here. There are about 300 prophecies attributed to Jesus, but I've got Micah chapter 5, the place of his birth, Bethlehem. The timing of the Messiah, Daniel chapter 2, 44, during the Roman Empire. Which tribe he'd be from, Genesis 49, come from Judah. Betrayal of a friend, Psalm 41. The amount of the betrayal, Zechariah 11, 30 pieces of silver. Details of the crucifixion, Psalm 22. Pierced hands, pierced feet. Uh, divide, took my clothes and, uh, uh, let's see, what did it say? How did it say? Divide my garments and cast lots for my clothing. Bury, but so no, no corruption, Psalm 16. So the prophets spoke as well. So Jesus told the Pharisees in John chapter 5, you think you will find eternal life in the scriptures. He said, and they speak about me. They speak about me. Eternal life is not in the scriptures. I am the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The scriptures that you say you follow speak about me, but you won't listen to me. They couldn't hear it. Verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith of Jesus Christ for all who believe. I want to take about uh, two or three minutes here. Some of your translations will say faith in Christ. Some will say faith of Christ. And this is a big debate that still is going on, has been going on for about 70, 80 years. Does the phrase pistis uh, Christu, is it best translated in Christ or of Christ? More literal commentators and scholars say it should be translated of Christ. I want you to notice something here. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3 just to see how this works. And let's go to um, verse 16. As they say, turn in your phones or in your photo, I would say your photogenic memory, but I'll say photographic Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 let's read this in Christ in this in this section in this verse first uh, no that's not the verse let me find my verse I want Galatians 2 16 I said 3 I want 2 okay We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ Jesus. Does that sound like word salad to you? Sounds a bit redundant, doesn't it? I mean, think about that. How many times have you got to say the same thing? Three times in one verse? Read it again, the way that it may be translated in your Bible. We believe in, uh, in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Christ. Let me back up and get on the right verse. 
We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, verse 16, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we have all believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ Jesus. Three times? No. They missed a preposition. And it's a huge one. And I'll explain that in a minute. Now let's read it the other way some scholars say it should be translated. And it makes a lot more sense. Verse 16. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through the faith of Christ Jesus, so that we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by the faith of Christ. Now you've got two different things, and it's not being redundant. So how does that work? And we certainly must have faith in Jesus. But what is the verse saying? What is the faith of Christ? When he is praying in the garden, Father, please remove this cup from me. I don't want to do this. Please remove it. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And then another section says, he was in great stress unto the point of death and he's sweating like blood dripping. Please, if there's any way, remove this cup. Yet not my will, but yours. Jesus had trust in the Father in doing what would be needed and that he would be saved, intact. He had never experienced death. It's totally alien to God. He knows he's going to the cross to die. What is that like? I don't know death. It's against my, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Death, not in the experience of God. To carry the sins of the world, not in the experience of God. To be separated from the Father in all of eternity, never had experienced that. How did he go to the cross? By faith in what the Father would do. He trusted the Father to bring him through what he had never experienced. And so at the end, uh, as he's crucified, he says, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He's putting his faith in the Father. You're going to take care of me. I'm paying for the sin of the world. I did what you asked to do me to do. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Faith in the Father. The faith of Jesus at the cross made our salvation possible so that we can have faith in Jesus. The faith of Jesus to trust the Father to bring him through the crucifixion, through the grave, and out on the other side. His faith and trust in the Father that caused him to obey the Father's will. Not my will, but yours be done. That faith took him to the cross, through the cross, and the resurrection so that we can have salvation. If he had not trusted the Father, if he had called those angels to stop this, we wouldn't have a shot. We wouldn't have a shot. It's his faith in the Father that caused him to go to the cross so that we can put our faith in him as our sacrifice. Comment. 
Okay, let's go on. The King James Version translates that passage I'm talking about in Romans 3 as the faith of Jesus. There are about four passages, four or five passages in the New Testament that probably should be translated faith of Jesus. It was what he did and his trust in the Father that gives us the opportunity for salvation through him. The faith of Jesus. Okay, Romans, next verse, 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God set forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins, the former sins. He's talking about Old Testament sins that he had passed over during animal sacrifice. Now he forgave those people, but not because that goat died. He forgave those people looking forward to the cross where his son was going to die. God knew that was going to happen. It was his plan. It was as sure as done. Okay, so, Richard. Are you saying here that he's strictly talking about the Jews and not the Gentiles? No, not both. Okay. Yeah, he's so talking about both. He's forgiving the sins of all men. All faithful people, all people who are trying to follow him because of their faith in him. Which, in the pagan world, wasn't a lot of people. But that's the way I see it, is both the written law of their hearts and the written code that they had. Uh, you could make a different argument if you want to. That's okay with me. Uh, what I want to notice here in verse 25, the phrasing, whom God put forward as a propitiation through his, or by his blood. God the Father did this. This is God the Father's initiative. Jesus coming to earth, it's in the Father's plan. Jesus dying for our sins. God, God did this whole thing, the Father. When I say God, and usually we say God, we're referring to the Father, we probably should just say the Father so that we're understanding what we're saying. Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the Father is God. You can say, say that in different ways, but I'm talking about this was the Father's plan Isaiah 53, verse 4, Jesus talking about he was smitten by God. This was God's doing, being the Father's doing, the Father's plan. He was smitten by God. The Lord, verse 6, Isaiah 53, verse 6, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10, thou God shall make his soul an offering for sin. God the Father's initiative. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf. And of course, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. So the father initiated this whole business of the life of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus and what Jesus did. Verse 27, we got five minutes. Yes, sir. Uh, in 25, my... Of course, my version has some Hebrew words in it, and it comes up with the word kapara, 
which literally means atonement. I like that a little bit better than propitiation. I think uh, Richard's saying his, some versions have atonement there instead of propitiation. I think we understand atonement probably more easily than propitiation. I read one, one study that said propitiation carried with it the idea of a payment that replaced wrath, that was made to avoid wrath. I don't know, Larry, do you know the answer to that? Payment that was made to avoid wrath. God's wrath against sin. Jeff? to appease the anger of God and make him friendly to you. That seems to make sense with propitiation the way I've read about it. Okay? The note, Kathy. The Bible says the sacrifice of atonement and it and refers to the atonement cover on the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, sacrifice of atonement connecting to the Ark of the Covenant. So we got the idea there. God made him, put him forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Okay, so four minutes. Let's see if we can knock this out. Uh, we probably can't. <laughs> so let's just start in 27. So what becomes of our boasting? Well, he says it's excluded. There's no boasting. Uh, verse 28. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Verse 29. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, the Gentiles too. Since God is one who will justify, who will justify the, un, the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? No, we uphold the law. So the law, the, the law was never bad. The law came from God. The law was holy. It had a purpose it, to bring us to Christ, and it did that. It taught sin causes death. It taught the innocent will die for the guilty. Uh, the law did all those things, served its purpose when Christ came. Its purpose was fulfilled. Uh, let me see. Okay, how can then Yeshua say, I am not coming to destroy the law or the prophets? I am here to bring it to its fullness. To fulfill it. Because it does not continue to be a prescribed way for man to be right with God. It is now through faith in Jesus. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. How did he fulfill it? He lived without sin. That's how he fulfilled it. He made the sin sacrifice by his death on the cross. Sin uh, innocent life paying for the guilty, and that's how he fulfilled it. Did he do away with it? He fulfilled it. He brought it to its fullness. I don't think he fulfilled it. He brought it to its fullness, to the exact measure that Hashem wanted it to be. And Torah and the and Tanakh all speak of Yeshua are leading toward him, not saying that they are going to do away with this, 
they're going to he's going to bring this to its fullness. Okay, Richard's saying that he didn't mean fulfill the law, he meant bring it to its fullness. I disagree, and I'll, I'll read a couple of passages why I, why I disagree, that we're no longer under that, that it has been fulfilled. And here's why I say that. Hebrews 8, 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Therefore, chapter 9, 15, therefore he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance. A new covenant has been established with Jesus' advent. What is the new covenant? The new covenant is salvation through faith in Jesus where he is the payment for our sin and he is the way to God. It's always been that way. Well, not exactly. Salvation has always been through Hashem. Yeshua is the offering, but the salvation is through through Hashem. He's the one who gives us forgiveness. Are you saying that there are two covenants now? No, I'm saying there's one. And I'm going back to uh, Ezekiel where it says, the old covenant is done away with, I will write a new covenant uh -huh. on your hearts. Uh -huh. And that's the one where in, in the apostolic writings can you find anything that is saying that Torah and the aspects of Torah are done away with? I just read them to you. No, they haven't been. Yeshua said, I didn't come, come to do away with the law. I came to bring it to its fullness, to bring it to what Hashem wants it to be in your life. And he brought it to completion. And now uh, he, we've read several verses. There's no justification before God through the old law. Zero. It's can, through Jesus. Can you show me something in the apostolic writings that says that is something new from Torah. No, I'm just reading to you from Hebrews. There's nothing new. Yeshua in his whole life, Paul in his whole life, had nothing other than Torah. Jeremiah 31, 31 says the days are coming when I will establish a new covenant. So new means not the old, but new. Jeremiah. 31, 31. We're out of time. Jeff. When it's been fulfilled, it's full. It's been completed. That's what my take on Hebrews is, is that the old way has been fulfilled, completed through Jesus, and he is the way to God by faith in what he's done. We appeal to God through him. That's my take. I always enjoy our conversation. Godspeed. Adios. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. 
And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.